Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Gentlemen, another fun week of college football. Uh, another week I was seven and three. I'm seven and three, three weeks in a row. We'll take that all year, boys. I like that uh, in, in my article on betting pros. But, uh, you know. No comment. <laughs> we had some dominant performances this week. Uh, Georgia smashed. Alabama smashed. Ohio State, Michigan all smashed. Uh, impressive wins for Oklahoma and USC. Uh, Texas A&M bounced back. Penn State beat Auburn. Oregon and Washington beat some ranked opponents. Wake Forest, Florida, and Arkansas had some, uh, you know, survived a couple of upset bids. Herm Edwards was canned. Uh, there's a lot going on here, Nick. So where do you want to start on a week three review? Yeah, I mean, pretty action-packed. We didn't quite get the, um, you know, crazy finishes except for App State. I mean, that, that was a pretty incredible oh, lordy. Uh, last second over Troy. But, you know, not as many of the uh, week two where we had so many overtime games and, and just, you know, incredible back and forth. Uh, there were a lot of great games. I mean, we started um, on Friday night. That Florida State Louisville game was was uh, exciting, came down to the wire. Louisville somehow found a way to lose. Um, and so, you know, as we're uh talking about some head coaching moves that have already happened obviously two fbs uh excuse me uh, power five jobs are open with nebraska last week arizona state this week it seems like some others might be close and satterfield is i think in that uh you know hot seat watch whatever we're we're you know saying where we're talking about harson and jeff collins at Georgia Tech, I think Satterfield is on that uh, pretty short list, is potentially the next to go. Um, there were, you know, plenty of fun games. Syracuse at Purdue was a lot of fun. Uh, but as you mentioned, I mean, running down at the top was just pure dominance. Um, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, all three looked pretty untouchable. Um I mean, Alabama, after having a close call the week before, uh, if you are a, a fan, certainly good to see them bounce back and take care of business against a obviously inferior opponent. Um, Oklahoma and USC, I was you know relatively impressed. USC still, uh, it, it's, it's hard, I guess, to completely buy in because even though the defense had a, a better performance overall they did benefit a little bit jake hayner was hurt um fresno state had some success early on uh but they seem you know like they're really clicking on all cylinders offensively uh texas a&m still is not obviously but the defense is good and that game played out pretty similarly the way uh we Under. expected there you go uh one game that did not play out like at least our projections expected uh, was that Auburn and Penn state game probably should have known better uh, because Penn state, you know, completely uh, dominated that game. And and so uh, I think that we learned a little bit, learned that, you know, maybe Auburn shouldn't be, I, I was talking last week about how 
you know, maybe we're underrating Auburn a little bit. Maybe all the talk about what's going on off the field is is taking up a little bit too much space, and and you know, maybe that's just wrong. Maybe maybe uh, things are are what they sort of appear uh, from the outside to be, and and Auburn is going to really really struggle. And perhaps also Penn State is taking a little bit of a step forward, which would be nice to see as well. A team that, as we mentioned, was you know underachieving a bit the last few years, but. Uh, overall, you know, another week in the books. I feel like we've learned just a little bit, but still is early. Still, for the most part, conference play has not kicked off in full. We will get a little bit of that this week, and, and I'm looking forward to it, partly because I think our projections, you know, do a lot better uh, when conference play is is uh, starting. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But we've got some conference games to talk about. This week we've got some, you know, ranked uh, matchups this week. But we were talking a little bit before we hit recording. It's it's kind of a sneaky slate that there are a lot of games that are really really interesting. There's not the, you know, headliner or the, the mega uh, obvious game of the week. But um, it it it's a fun slate. It's a good way to coming off the it. last couple of weeks uh, where we've had, you know. Some, some lopsided some wins, big games, yeah. but also plenty of blowouts. Uh, it seems like we're set up for a, a competitive week, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, moving towards conference play, uh, these games are all going to get a little bit tighter here. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on what uh transpired in week three? Anything really surprise you, or uh, you know, who was on fraud watch and actually was a fraud? Uh, Michigan State, Michigan yeah. State, was the Washington gets. I mean, pretty much blasted in, in, in the first half. Makes it a more, you know, makes it a more manageable game in the second, but ultimately loses by 11 to Washington. Um, I had AM on fraud watch. They were able to hold on against Miami. I just thought Miami just couldn't punch into the end zone. A lot of weird and UCLA. Poor. UCLA was one I did not. I don't, I don't know if I did have them on fraud watch, but I should have. Man, I mean, about, they almost lost to South Alabama. You know, I, I, I asked a little bit about that. that. Yeah, you asked about I it. I asked about and... it because I thought, I was like, why is UCLA yeah, also right. favored yeah. by 15 and a half? Nick mentioned the injuries, but also they look like crap. Well, also, like crap. if you remember, I said that South Alabama you did. was pretty yeah. good. And, and they, they did get them. As and South Alabama, them. actually, I don't know if you guys got to, to see that, but um, a disastrous fake field goal call that should have just kept the offense on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so they probably – could have maybe should have won that game. But yeah. 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 That was that was a fun one too. Marshall. Yeah. Marshall was not a team that I had up there, but definitely another hey, one that we completely things game. went yeah. according to plan. Marshall, we thought would go <laughs> two and one. We thought they'd be two and one at this point. It works. It's it I see no I see no problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they they are two and one. Just That's uh true. you know does not know over Notre Dame. This is like one of those belt games, you know, where they, if you gave Notre Dame the belt at the beginning of the year, um, uh, Marshall would have had it and then lost it to Bowling Green. And then whoever Bowling Green plays next would have it. It's one of those weird domino games. Where and the last they, ones we had were, I had Notre Dame. They held on. I was really excited about the way that Kyle started that game, but finished horribly. Um, and last but not least was Houston. Um, I had Houston not covering. Oh, I had Houston and I had Ole Miss. Ole Miss handled business and completely shut me up. This will be the last time they're on fraud watch until they play Bama. Um, and then <laughs> I had Houston Arkansas. losing to Kansas. 
and Kansas. That happened. Oh, straight up. Brandon. Yeah. Uh, just. I had the over, so we nailed it. I mean, oh, it, yeah. the over, okay. it was almost over at halftime, you know? Uh, so that was, uh, that was, and, a and, and, and you lightly mentioned it, but how about Bobby Petrino going back into Arkansas and giving his old, his old team a scare? That was, <laughs> that was some comeuppance for all of the tweets I saw before that game uh, that were essentially him in the neck brace. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bobby Petrino has made some pub, very public mistakes. So uh, I'm That's sure that the there, there's no way that you like him. So, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, knew that was coming. So, uh, yeah, that was that was a weird game, especially at Arkansas just clearly did not take them seriously. And because uh, they just beat a good SEC opponent in South Carolina, you know. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, I say good, but it, look, okay. <laughs> Uh, would you say South Carolina is better than Missouri State? Right now, I don't know. You don't have to call them good. You don't have to call them good, but but you can say they're better than Missouri State. You know, uh, and, 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 uh, if they played that game ten times, I think Missouri State might get three wins. That's all I'm saying. Uh, yeah. Okay. So they're seventy percent better than uh, Missouri State. We'll say that. So, uh, but uh, uh, Pittsburgh got got back on track. Uh, Anthony Richardson looked like garbage two weeks in a row. Uh, after the big win against Utah, of course, that was my fault because I picked Utah. So I will just chalk that up to my fault. But all right, you guys ready to move on to week four? Anything else from week three you want to cover, Nick? Yeah, so there, you know, we have, I guess, weekly gone through some injuries just to sort of, you know, touch on some things people might have missed or maybe some late breaking news. Uh, talked about Jake Hayner. Uh, he went down. I haven't gotten clarification as to whether or not that's going to be a long-term thing, but it sounded like, uh, well, I know he was carted off. Seems like he's probably going to be out for a little bit. I know in that big upset Eastern Michigan had over Arizona State, they did a lot of it without uh, Taylor Powell, but it sounds like that he uh, will be back full speed. Um, Rocky Lombardi from Northern Illinois went down with an injury, missed a large uh, chunk of that game, and Vanderbilt was able to come back, get that win over Northern Illinois. He sounds questionable to maybe doubtful, so uh, one to watch a little bit as well. Um, I think most everything that was, uh, you know, Trayvon Henderson at Ohio State, it sounds like he will be back, but uh, perhaps not 100%. Uh, but other than the quarterbacks, doesn't seem like there are any huge, huge, you know, major impact on, on top 25 type teams. A lot of guys working through some things. Obviously, BYU played without uh, a couple of big name players, Puka Nakua, Gunnar Romney, who may be back this week. Uh, Baylor was out of the handful. Uh, without a handful of guys. Oh, Chris Altman Bell from Minnesota uh, is going to oh, be out yeah, for the yeah. year, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, you know, obviously every week we we get some big ones. Um, this week, at least, you know, a couple of those MAC teams as we mentioned, and then depending on how things shake out for Hayner, uh, quarterbacks, kind of the the headliners, I guess, as usual. Yeah, and then the big, you know, another big loss was Arizona State losing to Eastern Michigan. Went ahead and fired Herm Edwards. Uh, Xavier, we didn't even mention that. I mean, this yeah. was the writing's been on the wall for a little while that Herm wasn't long for this job. So they did it after an embarrassing loss, which is the time that you do these things. And I think it makes some sense. What do you think about ASU getting rid of Herm Edwards? I, I thought, yeah, it, it was about time. 
like, you know, we've been alluding to the fact that Eric, pretty much all of his assistants at this point feel like they were fired, at least, you know, the, you know, the ones, I won't say the top ones, but obviously the close, the, you know, and I feel like on top of it, the uh, I will say this, I did laugh in what is being speculated in the way they did it. It kind of felt like the mafia kind of like came at, it was like, hey, he made us at the back end zone at the end of the game. And he yeah. was like, okay. Somebody said, I've heard of getting tarmac. I've never heard of getting end zone. Right. So. I thought that was kind of funny because I was just like, it just looks like Herman's like, yeah, yeah, okay. I've seen yeah. a little bit of pushback on that, but I, I see how I, I don't know. I've I don't know that they fired him right there. Right. I don't think they but did. I think, I I think the thing. sort of the, the uh, I don't know. I saw that the, whoever took the video is affiliated with Arizona State or has a uh, Arizona State connection with okay. team side or something um and was like no you know it wasn't it wasn't that but it was maybe a hey we're gonna we're gonna meet tomorrow <laughs> yeah. and at that point kind of that's what i thought was like uh it was either like a hey you know what happens after something like this right and he was like yep yep <laughs> and uh there's okay so we're gonna have a meeting tomorrow morning uh we're gonna need the whole team there yep you know, uh, so I think it's, I think it was one of those, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, just too many rules were broken for things like this to be overlooked. And that's really, you know, if, if you do survive something like that, that a controversy or something and you don't win also, you're going to be gone real quick. And it's exactly what happened. So, uh, I didn't see who is, uh, who's taking over Nick. Uh, so I believe he was the running backs coach who has been promoted. Um, saw some reports from practice today. It's Tuesday as, as we talk Tuesday evening, uh, Sean Iguano, uh, stepping in. Sounds like, you know, pretty, pretty similar to some other firings that we've heard. There's a you know influx of energy. They were playing music at practice. Some of the players, seem to be a little more uh, engaged. The pace seems to have picked up. Um, you know, perhaps they'll play a little faster on, on offense. Who knows? Um, but I, I did read, and uh, Doug Holler, the athletic, covers Arizona State and, and I think does a really good job, did have sort of a uh, sort of a, a complete recap, basically, of the Herm Edwards era it was kind of interesting. I read through it earlier today. And I mean, remember when it happened, we all thought this was the dumbest thing we'd ever heard. Yeah. Herm Edwards, who hasn't coached in college since literally the 1980s uh, and then hasn't coached anything other than the Under Armour uh, All-American game <laughs> since, you know, what, the early 2000s? Mm -hmm. uh, but they had some early success and I know I bought in. I'd always really liked Herb Edwards. Like seems like a really yes. good guy. Um, I agree with that for sure. He always seemed like a good person. Yeah. You and know. and, it's and I don't know that this changes that. I mean, uh, no, you know. no, not necessarily. I mean, it sounds, it sounds like in some ways and he probably, he probably knew a good chunk of what was going on, but it sounds like in some ways and sort of reading that, recap um there there were some things he probably turned a blind eye to it sounds like you know antonio pierce who was the defensive coordinator who it sounded like you know was given <clears throat> more power over the 
football operation than your average uh, or maybe almost any other <laughs> assistant coach uh, kind of handled a lot of the recruiting. A lot of the talk that they had on, you know, Herm Edwards is a CEO type person. In some ways, it sounded like he was checked out or, or somewhat, I mean, maybe this isn't the best word, but somewhat oblivious to some of the NCAA rules, recruiting wise, you know, some of those things um, that just, yeah, and there's just not an excuse for that. To, no, there's not. And, yeah. and, but, but that sort of, uh, way of setting things up or allowing it to happen. Sure. Just sort of snowballed. And, and yeah, because he doesn't like, I just, I am shocked. I, I would be shocked to know that Herm Edwards was knowingly cheating. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that would, well, there I don't seems know to that be that some, I mean, there, there are some folks who were uh, anonymously, Quoted there, nobody was on the record, but sure. um, some former assistants or you know folks who were involved who, who said like he's not a cheater. Herm Edwards would not do this. I would work for him again in a heartbeat. Yada yada yada. Um, but then you know there are plenty of other signs to think he, he kind of had to know something. But I don't know. Anyway, yeah, it it, it probably was time. I was. You know, I was along with everybody else immediately and thought, this is weird. I like Herm Edwards. This seems like it's going to be a disaster. And then I was a pretty quick convert because they had some success early and they had a lot of on-field success, but also recruiting success. That first go-round relied on a lot of, you know, true freshmen early on who I just thought were going to develop you know, guys like Jaden Daniels, the linebacking core, um, you know, that that I thought this was going to be a Pac-12 title contender in two to three years, and then it just sort of all slowly, you know, fell apart. Um, and it it did seem like it was time, um, but I will not, you know, uh, say that I I didn't buy in early on. I certainly did, um, but yeah. but things played out, and it seemed like you know it all came crashing down relatively quickly, and and probably you know in the long run uh this was the right thing to do and we'll see where they go from here and it sounds like you know there's a lot of speculation but i wouldn't be shocked if uh there's an ad change as well we've been talking about that since all this you know off-field stuff happened anyway so yeah yeah probably uh probably wholesale changes coming to asu for sure uh so just an interesting story to follow along and we'll see you know uh, the first name that I saw uh, is a current NFL head coach, and I know you would be all aboard, Nick. Uh, Matt Rule was the first, uh, you know, um, name that I saw in like. Apparently, uh, people all right, don't like the, the rule anymore. Is that true? I haven't been paying attention. Uh, not in the NFL. <laughs> he's been awful in the NFL, and he's fired like all of his assistants. He's the Herm Edwards without the cheating at uh, at Carolina. It's just no success at all. You know. Uh, they traded for Sam Darnold, didn't work at all. Uh, they traded for Baker Mayfield. Joe Brady still was crap. there and then gone so, in a year, right? They uh, did, yeah. So, yeah, they look good with Joe Brady. I've heard, there. I have a, I, you know, I'm on record. I, I, my Sundays don't involve a lot of NFL. Uh, the rest <laughs> of my week doesn't either. But I've heard whispers that Matt Rule is bad now. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and, and look, ASU is a good like. Hey, let's start here again. 
and uh, bring this team up to the top of the Pac-12, then it's even SEC team will hire me. You know, uh, that's uh, w- would be fairly uh, doable, I think, for Matt Rule. So uh, we'll see what ASU does. But let's get into week four here, and we're going to go a little different. Uh, we're going to run a little quicker. We're going to hit more games, most likely. Uh, and, um, you know, we're going to just keep it a little more free form than we have before. So, Nick, with that, all that being said, I want to know why – the Kansas Jayhawks who are <laughs> undefeated and uh, you know, look good doing it beat a Houston team that came into the season ranked. Uh, I mean, their, their ticket already cashed. Didn't you already get your money? I mean, um, wasn't there over two and a half wins. So, well, unfortunately I, I think they make you wait until the end of the regular season, but uh, oh, we, I guess we the did, we were able wins. to book our first two, uh, overs on win totals because not only did Kansas go over the two and a half, Vanderbilt did as well. Uh, and Duke has at, at worst, if they go 0 and 9 from here on out, will uh, push. They were, <laughs> we were over three on, on Duke. So we're at least 2 0 and 1 on win totals. We'll, we'll see. Some are looking pretty good, some not so much. But I mean, Xavier was, you know, on Kansas obviously last week, knew that. Houston was in trouble and they were clearly improved. And one of the things that, that is interesting and, and Kansas right now, I think is America's team pretty much. Uh, Lance Leopold is, you know, he's, he's on the list. He was on the, the Nebraska uh, early list. Wouldn't be surprised if he's on the Arizona state list or, or any others to come on. He is a, yeah. a program builder and a really good coach and has gotten Kansas up to, uh, you know, respectability. Uh, For sure. pretty quickly right now uh, we did uh, go through our, our first 2022 team performance ratings I wanted to give it a little bit of time in years past I felt like uh, we were a little too early and, and gave some really weird results early on there's still a little bit of quirkiness and, and this Duke Kansas game is one of them uh, but right now Kansas is is seventh in offensive team performance number three in rushing offense. Uh, the defense is a little bit shaky, um, but I mean, Kansas is a, a much improved team and, and the numbers back that up, but also, you know, just the eye test. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, I, I will say, although Duke, I feel like has, has passed that eye test as well. And admittedly, I haven't seen much of Duke since uh, their week one game against Temple because it was, I think, on that Friday night. There wasn't very much else going on, but they were pretty immediately. You know, uh, it was a it was apparent right away that they are improved. And I would hate to think that you know, because David Cutcliffe is highly respected, great coach. Um, you, you hate to use the Q word, but it it did seem it, just going back and look at that Louisville game, the way Malik Cunningham just was running circles around uh, that Duke defense, it seemed at times like Duke kind of quit toward the end. And now they are rejuvenated a bit. Um, And so I I think that in some ways Duke has uh, flown under the radar a little bit. Mike Elko is a first-time, first-year head coach, doesn't quite have the track record that Lance Leopold does. So I understand why Kansas is favored. I understand why a lot of people are, are excited and believe that Kansas might be kind of for real, might actually be, you know, a, a threat to go to a bowl game. And Duke is just like, oh yeah, nice story, whatever. 
Um, <laughs> but I almost feel like Duke was a little bit exaggerated in how far they fell. I, I, I don't think that, I don't know, I don't think Duke is maybe getting quite as much credit because the roster is a little bit more talented maybe than we you know, thought. Um, they've got some interesting pieces. I mean, Riley Leonard taking over at quarterback. The runner-up in the quarterback competition, Jordan Moore, has immediately become a pretty productive receiver, pretty exciting-looking player. Um, they've got some other talent at receiver. They've got a pretty deep running back group, even after losing Mateo Durant. Defensively, they you know have some quality pieces or more experienced guys like Shaka Hayward or are all ACC caliber players. You know, the secondary is certainly a work in progress, but Elko is a good defensive coach. Uh, I understand Kansas being, you know, actually favored, but our numbers kind of think that that Duke is just as good, if not a little bit better. In fact, we actually have Duke uh, favored in this game. It is in Durham. Kansas is slightly, you know, higher rated in our power ratings, but the home field advantage of which admittedly, you know, isn't going to be huge uh, from a, a, stadium standpoint uh but duke i think is is flying under the radar a little bit don't be don't be shocked if duke gives kansas more of a game than houston did just because i i I feel like they are slightly underrated and maybe kansas is is just you know all the way back to being a competitive weekend week out team and duke might not be ready for that just yet um but i i feel almost like you know Kansas is, is getting all the buzz and Duke is deserving of, of maybe a little bit more than it's getting, if, if that makes sense. So I, I don't know that I trust our projection that they're going to win this game outright, but I do kind of like, you know, that we're on, on the Duke side of things. Uh, if that makes sense. Uh, I um, look, I'll tell you what I like in this game more than anything. It's the over. That is exactly what I like because Kansas scores on everyone since Jalen Daniels beat Texas last year. Uh, they've scored at least 28 points in every single game. And then they give up usually more than that. But, um, you know, last two games, they've uh, put up big totals. So gotten most of the total themselves. Xavier, do you have a strong lean in uh, this Kansas and Duke game? Is this uh Kansas walkaway win and this line is goofy or is this, Hey, uh, it's on the road for them. This is finally an actual test, so maybe we should just take that over and lay off the line. Well, my first thought was exactly what you said. I thought the line was rather goofy, to be honest. Um, and then I had to do some homework on Duke, as I feel like most people have to do right now when it comes to Duke being 3-0. Uh, but something that they did really well in the Northwestern game, and we all watched Northwestern run all over Nebraska. They did a really good job of limiting big runs. And for a team like Kansas that is so reliant on their quarterback doing both what he needs to do on the ground and through the air, they might struggle a little bit more with that Duke defense. Uh, Northwestern was a like Evan Hole and company came into that game after playing Nebraska thinking that they could run over anybody. Um, and instead, they forced Helensky to throw 60 times um, in that game. And so I feel like if they can force Jay, uh, Daniels to be a one-dimensional quarterback, force him to sit more in the pocket. I know he's a more much more dynamic athlete than Ryan Helisky, obviously, but when it comes to what, what well, you know, why Duke would win this ball game if they so do, it would be because they're able to hold their quarterback in the pocket. 
Um, now, obviously, that's easier said than done with such a dynamic player. But I'm also a little bit skeptical of, you know, when is Kansas's luck going to run out with the way that they've been running their offense? Uh, you know, you you put so much you know importance on your quarterback doing everything for you in the offense that just feels like at some point there's going to be a burnout. Like at, at some point, somebody else is going to have to carry much more of the load uh, than than what has been happening, especially against Houston. You know, he, he threw for 150. He almost ran for 150. So I, I think at some point you may see a game where somebody finally is able to bottle him up a little bit more. Um, I think Kansas ha- should win this ball game, um, and really. I would be giving Duke much more of an opportunity to win this game if they had more of a home court advantage or home field advantage. Um, I, I think that, you know, Kansas. little Freudian slip there, Duke and Kansas home court. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boo. <laughs> hiss. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I do. I, I'm going to pick Kansas here. Um, I do think Duke has a better showing than what people may give them credit for. Um, but I, I will go Kansas here. I just think that Can- Lance Leopold has those guys playing some excellent football at the moment. Um, it's not like they just, you know, beat Houston on the last second field goal. They dominated that game, especially in the second half. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what this game looks like because, you know, you know, I, I think both teams are starting to trend back in the right direction. Um, Duke, obviously, you know, in an ACC that is, for, at least for the middle of the conference, is wide open. Um, and Kansas on the flip side for, for a Big 12 that maybe hasn't lived up to the hype that we all thought it was going to be maybe uh, early in this year. Uh, you know, Baylor obviously dropping a game already and, you know, not everybody looking the hottest. And so Kansas, I mean, and, and both of them, regardless, are great stories up until this point. I'm going to go Kansas here. I think they get the win. Uh, I think the Jalen Daniels, or, you know, I think the Daniels, you know, train keeps rolling. Um, and I think Lance Leopold, you know, gets a statue built for him at the end of the season. How about uh, let's go to a rank game, uh, Tennessee uh, hosting Florida. This is uh, going to be a really, really fun one. The uh, official uh, line is, uh, what is it, Tennessee by 10 and a half. The total is 62 and a half. Uh, this is kind of close to what we have, Nick, but Richardson, after looking so good against Utah, has looked like such garbage in the next two games for Florida you kind of don't know what you're going to get from him. So how do you see this game playing out? And is it all basically, you know, win, lose or draw for Florida on the, on Anthony Richardson's shoulders here? Yeah. Yeah. Real real quick. One of the things you said uh, close to what we've got. And one of the benefits of doing the uh, team performance ratings and, and including them in our most recent projections um things are much closer and, and that's a good sign um we we do have a lot of projections i mean we've got one that we might talk about today where the difference is 0.01 i mean there, <laughs> there are a lot that are very very close uh and that's good i mean that's going to be better for our you know absolute error and, and things like that the ats results have been garbage two out of three weeks um, but I, I do feel much better about this set of projections than I have, uh, you know, than I certainly did last week. And, and this is in line, I think. I mean, getting Tennessee, we're on Tennessee to cover, uh, which is a little bit of a departure as a double digit favorite from some of our early projections. We've been on a lot of uh, far too many underdogs. And, you know, certainly I think Florida is capable of covering that they might even be capable of winning and and you know if anthony richardson does uh play like the 
you know, first round potential quarterback. A lot of people have seen in, you know, small pieces here or there, then yeah, Florida can win this game. Um, Florida, however, has not looked good uh, recently. Richardson has not looked good recently. Uh, in fact, Florida has fallen to 47th in our most recent power rankings updates, largely because that team performance number, they rank 91st in overall team performance, 72nd on offense, 94th on defense, and their passing offense ranks 123rd. They're top 15 in rushing, and Montreal Johnson, Naquan Wright, Trevor Etienne, pretty solid running back trio, and it does seem to be you know a, a trio sort of by committee, but also Richardson, of course, is, is a playmaker on the ground as well. But so far, you know, success-wise, they've been very one-dimensional. And Tennessee is consistently, you know, floating around that top 10. They were preseason, you know, top 15, top 10 uh, in a lot of our rankings updates. They're currently ninth. Um, there is a little bit of an injury concern for Cedric Tillman. He left the game early against Akron last week. Uh, however, you know, it, if we're speculating, it seemed like maybe just a cautionary Hey, we're playing Akron. We got Florida on deck. Let's just hold him out for for now, not mess anything up. Uh, but Tennessee has played, you know, understandably, other than Pitt, which did give them some trouble at times. Uh, pretty weak competition. Ball State, Akron, where they just absolutely dominated. They're 11th in team performance overall, 11th on offense, 30th on defense, which is um, important because if Florida, you know, is going to be one dimensional and and can't uh, throw the football uh, going up against a defense that is is solid. I mean, Tennessee's offense gets a lot of the headlines, and understandably, I mean, Hendon Hooker is a lot of fun, runs that offense really, really well. They operate at a top five pace, which is a, you know something we do update uh, now. New Forest in 2022 is, is uh, updated pace numbers uh, in our team profiles. But, yeah, I mean, this Tennessee defense has has – stepped up and, and played relatively well um, and should, I think, you know, give Florida some trouble. And, and certainly Florida, um, I think, is is even considering Pitt a better, you know, group of playmakers on offense, even though they've struggled a little bit. Uh, I think the potential is there for Florida, and, and they certainly could put together their best performance of the year. Uh, but I do think at this point in the season, early as it may be, Tennessee is is clearly the better team and the team I trust more. Uh, so 10 points, you know, in a rivalry game, in an SEC division game, seems like a lot. But I think I'd rather be on Tennessee than Florida at this stage. Uh, and so, you know, certainly could go the other way. But, but I kind of like that we think Tennessee is going to cover uh, double digits. Xavier, what, what do you think of this game? Do you like uh, Volunteers or do you like the Gators? I like the Volunteers, but I don't like them to cover. I, I think the 10 and a half is wild in a, in a rivalry game. Um, I think anytime we talk about rivalry games, we always talk about throwing out the numbers, right? And when you're talking about Tennessee, you, you have to throw out the numbers when you're talking about them playing against Florida. Just because Florida is, has been a bogey team for Tennessee over the last half, decade and a half, or half a decade at the very least, 
Uh, doesn't matter what kind of Florida team comes in there. It's typically are able to stick with Tennessee throughout. Uh, and I think that this is going to be no difference here. This is a team in Tennessee that I think is a lot of smoke screens. Uh, they would be my fraud watch if for Anthony Richardson playing so poorly down in the last couple of games because in their one game versus Pitt, I don't think they win that game if, if Keenan Slovis get, uh, doesn't get hurt. I think that changed the entire complexion of that ball game. I think Keenan Slovis getting hurt gave their defense a lot more credit than what it actually deserved. Um, and when you look at the rest of the game that they played, they played Boston Akron. I'm not giving them kudos for either one of those wins, especially when I told I said in the preseason that I believe, or preseason, quote unquote, um, I, I believe that if Hendon Hooker was able to take that next step as a quarterback, that's exactly what the offense should look like. You're not going to get any kudos for me for doing what you're supposed to do. Um, and so for me, when I thought, going into this game, I like Tennessee to win this game, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a, a, a three score game going into the, you know, with six minutes left in the fourth quarter and it's, 20 to 17, to be perfectly honest with you, because Tennessee is a team and they've been like this throughout the last half a decade and you can even go farther than that. When they play four, they play tight. They just do. And the passes are a little bit more errant. The running game doesn't look nearly as good. And I think this defense isn't getting enough credit for keeping them in ball games with how bad Anthony Richardson has been over the last couple of games. He's been horrendous, like just downright horrendous. And even in the Kentucky game, they still had a chance to win that game. And against South Florida this past week, once again, he wasn't great, but the defense did enough. Uh, and, and I think that's when that's something I can hang my hat on, especially when we're talking about up front, uh, much to my chagrin. But, you know, former Georgia transfer Brendan Cox has been solid. Um, Gervon Dexter looks like a first-round draft pick um, at this point in, uh, in the season. And, you know, they're playing the team. And once again, like I said, can Tennessee stop the run? That's going to be the biggest key of whether or not Tennessee can win this ball game. That's what Florida's strength is. That's all Florida strength is at this current moment. And they gave up 154 yards to pit on the ground. You know, and, and so when I when I look at it that way, I go, should Tennessee be favored by 10 and a half? Absolutely not. Because what Florida does great, Tennessee hasn't shown to be able to stop against a good team yet. And on the flip side, I get Anthony Richardson being a, a, as poor as he's been, but that defense deserves a ton of credit for keeping them in ball games where he's thrown two picks back to back weeks. Uh, four picks in the last two games and, you know, had chances to win both and then and did beat USF. So I'm going to say Tennessee wins this ball game by the hair on the chins. And it's something or rather like a 27, 24, uh, maybe a 30, 24 victory, but 10 and a half way too rich for my blood. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, Xavier over here sound like Chris rock. Uh, you, I'm not, I'm not going to give you credit for what you're supposed to do. Tennessee. Uh, I thought that was a pretty good line there, Xavier. Um, let's go over to uh, Washington and Stanford. This one I asked you about, Nick, because um, Washington, the official line is 13 and a half. The total is 62 and a half. We're kind of close to that, you know, uh, a couple points ahead on the total, uh, about half a point on the spread here. But I don't know. I just, Stanford hasn't looked good. Washington's at home. They looked impressive in this game as well. I mean, I, what this feels like the totals low. Uh, how do you how do you feel about this Pac-12 matchup? Well, first of all, I was just really really impressed with Washington. I mean, they you know I mentioned last week this time last week I said that though we did have Washington favored, I was kind of happy that we were on Michigan State, even though it was a really you know close projection uh, to what we had, but Washington came out they were the best team from the opening kickoff 
And my only question is whether or not there really will be, you know, a letdown because um, a lot of this roster, the last couple of years, I mean, obviously 2020 was such a mess and then last season, um, full year, but, but had the just horrible offense most of the time, the early loss in the FCS uh, to Montana and just sort of derailed things immediately and the coaching change. And so a lot of this roster, and they are relying on, you know, some transfers, but a lot of the roster has been around for two years, hasn't won a whole lot, might not quite know how to handle success. And, and that's not something, obviously, that our projections take into account. They see Washington now as a top 20 team uh, playing, you know, top 20 football team performance wise, top 30 on offense, top five passing attack. Um, Michael Penix looked great. Last, you know, last week, Jalen McMillan, Roma Dunes, Tosh Davis, Jalen Polk had a huge game. Uh, but that receiving core is is good and deep and, and starting to play up to a lot of those uh, recruiting ratings that, you know, perform pretty well, look pretty good in, in our uh, position and unit ratings. But they're, they're starting to play like that. And that's great to see. Uh, however, you know, you hear about it on all the, the broadcasts. I mean, uh, oh, how's Washington going to play now that people around campus have been, you know, patting them on the back all week? I yeah. do have a, a slight, you know, bit of concern about that. I don't think that Stanford is particularly good, <laughs> and uh, you know, part of it is I just they're, they're one of those teams that right now is sort of on my do not trust list, uh, but they are. Also, one of those teams that's never really intimidated. Um, they did lose to USC, but they were pretty unlucky in, in some instances and, and, you know, made things close at the end, had a couple of, you know, big-time mistakes in the red zone that, that really swung the outcome of the game. And Stanford is one of those teams that seems like, you know, once a year, sometimes twice, uh, especially in down years, and it seems like this could be a down year, is capable of knocking off, you know, one of the top teams in, in the Pac-12, and that might be Washington this week. Um, you know, we saw it at Oregon last year. We've seen it at other, other teams in the past. But, you know, EJ Smith is, is going to be out. They announced that earlier today, Tuesday. Um, that's a little bit of a concern. He's one of their best offensive players, obviously, Got off to a good start, you know, to the season. So, will they be able to rely on Casey Filkins at running back? Um, they are down a starting offensive lineman who medically retired uh, earlier this year, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they have had an extra week to prepare, which is another point, you know, in in their favor. Uh, but this game is in Seattle, and, and Washington, you know, looks looks legit. I think. Um, so I'm torn a little bit. Part of me is glad again, that we have a team projected to cover a double digit spread. Uh, but part of me thinks that there, there are a couple of things in Stanford's favor here. You know, the extra week of prep, just sort of the fact that, that they do have a history of, of, you know, jumping up and biting, uh, a team that's supposed to be better and, and blow them out. Um, and then also they were, you know, maybe just a tiny bit unlucky at times in the loss to USC. So my confidence level isn't isn't really high, 
but I do think that Washington, you know, is all the way back and is playing really good football, confident. And unless there's just some sort of letdown that we can't really account for, um, I feel that that they are rightly, you know, two touchdown favorites here. And, and so, uh, again, not huge level of confidence, but I, I do think this is a game that Washington should win uh, and probably buy two touchdowns more. Javier, uh, do you have a different level of confidence in this Washington team, or are you kind of on the border on this too? I mean, I said it last week when I said that they would beat uh, Michigan State. I said I, this team was a quarterback away, and I, and I genuinely believed him when I said it. Um, we talked about it all last year, how I wasn't that big of a Dylan Morris fan, and, and I thought that Michael Penix, if he could return to the form that he showed at Indiana, they, they, this team – I'm not going to say the sky's the limit – but this is, should be a team that late in the season is competing for a Pac-12 uh, championship berth. And, and I genuinely believe that because I thought that they had the talent. They just needed a, you know, they needed a head of the snake. And, and Michael Penix looked so good last week. I, I don't think people really realize how good he looked. Uh, maybe they, they didn't catch the game. They're watching other, you know, other performances. But he was, I mean, in that first half, he couldn't miss. Like, that's just genuinely what, what he looked like. Uh, he looked poised. They gave him, part, they gave him time. You know, he was 24 or 40, 397 to four touchdowns. And when I tell you, this is a good Michael Penix we saw in Indiana. Absolutely. And, you know, before he got hurt. And then, you know, he looked like a different human being last year. And he looks like a different human being this yeah. year. And what I, what I love, I think, so much in his game is the trust he had on the outside. You know, Jalen Pope, Jalen McMillan, um, you know, he was just kind of. He, he trusted them a thousand percent to go make plays. And, and that's something that, you know, when you have that kind of trust in a receiving core, that's not just out of thin air. You build that in the offseason. You build that through reps and repetition um, and, and, you know, different type of practices and playing all the time. That's the kind of reps that you need to see from a guy who needed to make that next step. Um, and, and I really like that. Uh, from Stanford perspective, I, I think that Nick's absolutely right. That's a team that I think that's against the U.S. He's a little harsh. Um, I honestly thought there was a better game than that. I, I feel like Stanford had a couple of opportunities kind of, you know, go the other way that if they kept it closer in that game, we, we might have had a different, you know, uh, a closer ball game as a whole um, and not, you know, a 41-28 game that where they had to score 14 points in the fourth quarter just to make it that scoreline. Um, I thought Tanner McKee was a little bit better than what his stats showed in that matchup. And the biggest thing for me going into this game for them is if they can run the football like they did against USC, They'll, they'll be able to do what Stanford typically has done, and that's control the clock, make sh- make you be perfect on all of your possessions, and, you know, if you're not, it, it, and take the pressure off their defense having to be perfect at all times and really just having to get a couple of stops. Uh, I think it's going to come down to which team can control the run game a little bit better. Um, I thought Washington was okay against Michigan State. That was a little concerning. Uh, they only ran for a, 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 about 100 yards as a team. Um, so I, I think that Washington's got to do a little bit better of a job of doing that against Stanford if they're going to look to win this ball game. Uh, the one, the big concern I do have for Stanford is is that secondary in shock a little bit. You know, yes, you get a full extra week of, of preparation, but now like the blueprints out on your secondary, like we saw your secondary just get sliced and diced. Now I'm not saying Michael Penix is Caleb Williams, and they don't have a Jordan Addison necessarily running around either, but we just watched them get absolutely fried and fricasseed consistently for four quarters. And, and is that going to hinder the Stanford secondary in this game to where Washington doesn't have to run the football and they don't have to ever give their, you know, give, give their guy the ball because 
Caleb Williams is just going to kind of sit back there – or not Caleb Williams, but Michael Penix is just going to be able to sit back there and do what he did to Michigan State secondary, which was much maligned coming into that game as well and just kind of, you know, dice them up as he so chooses. So I'm going to go with Washington here. I think that Stanford, like I said, is maybe getting not enough credit for how they played against USC, uh, but with this game being in Seattle, once again, home field advantage at that stadium is great. One of the best – one of the better atmospheres, in my opinion, in the Pac-12 – um, and I think Washington keeps the role going. Um, and they've got a couple of like really big matchups coming up after this one too. So I think Washington, you know, stays and keeps this game in front of them and wins this game as well. I, I really like what Michael Penix and those boys are doing up there. Uh, yeah, uh, they, they have been very, very impressive so far. Uh, Xavier, I'll hand it to you. Is there a certain game that you want to talk about here? Which one do you, uh, are you looking forward to the most in week three? Ooh, am I looking forward to the most? So we already talked about ten, yeah, we already talked about Tennessee and Florida, which is a game that all fun for me because I hate both teams, so I want both of them to lose. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you've got to look at Wake Forest, Clemson. Uh, this is Sam Hartman's real, and Wake Forest hasn't been the juggernaut that maybe we all thought they'd be when Sam Hartman got back. Uh, you know, a, a really great showing in his first game back um, against Vandy, um, and. Mm, I'm not so sure that they've looked all that dominant. They didn't look dominant at all last week against Liberty, especially defensively. They were horrendous. Uh, Caden Slater, or Salter, excuse me, kind of did what he wanted to, um, especially on the ground. Um, he was very good on the ground, and, you know, he, he was okay through the air, but you can see that his legs really was opening up his passing game as that game kind of carried on. And that's not a good thing when the one thing that Clemson does really well is quarterback run. Uh, and that's what DJ Uyunglele is going to want to do in this ballgame. He's going to want to run the ball. And if Wake Forest can't stop him, it was very indicative of when Wake Forest, I believe, played Sam Howell last year too. They just couldn't stop a running quarterback. And I'm not so sure that they're going to be able to again. Um, I don't know. You know, I guess you can say that they were looking ahead. But Liberty is one of those G5 teams that you just kind of know is going to come out there and give you a, a, a hard game regardless of who's, you know, at quarterback for them because they still have that same head coach. So I think Wake Forest should be better. But also, you know, Clemson, this will be their first test uh, of the year going on the road as well. So this is huge. And speaking of looking ahead, they've got a clash with NC State next week, um, uh, October 1st. So I hope there's no looking ahead from them with them going on the road. But we've seen Clemson drop games that they shouldn't before. I like Clemson in this game. However, I will add this caveat. If Wake Forest wins, you've got to start talking about Sam Hartman as a Heisman Dark Horse. Just going to put okay. that out. Um, okay. Because if he's to win this ball game, he's going to have to outduel a Clemson defense that even though Clemson had a quote-unquote bad year last year, the Clemson defense, and Nick, you can tell me if I'm wrong or right in the numbers, was still one of the top 25 defenses in the country and extremely good, especially up front, with, uh, with Breesey and, and Miles Murphy, and, you know, I think last year was Xavier Thomas as well. Like some really some, – some dogs uh, on that front four that can still get after the QB and can still make that day hell for the opposing, uh, opposing QB. Yeah, they ranked fourth in defensive team performance overall last year. They've been top right. ten, you know, as far back as our records go. Uh, mm-hmm. In 2014, uh, they're, they're, you know, the worst defense that they've had is eight. So they've been really, really consistent, really good. Uh, up front, obviously, you know, elite defensive line, number one in our 
position uh, in unit ratings. Um, unfortunately, of course, you know, last week, Brissy was was not on the field. Uh, heavy hearts, certainly with, with the Clemson uh, program. Um, not sure if, if he will be back, but um, you know, certainly, certainly could be, and and even not, even if not, from a football standpoint, though they have had some injuries up front. Xavier Thomas, as you mentioned, is is uh, you know last year certainly was was a starter and, and is a big time uh, performer, but he's been out so far this year. Tyler Davis, I know, has been banged up. Trey Williams was banged up earlier um, in the year, and and so that defensive line could be certainly not at its its full strength. Um, but one of the things that really jumps out to me and, and, you know, maybe just cause it's, they're brand new. I mean, the, the ink and the, uh, Excel file is, is still wet. Uh, but our team performance numbers, you know, with Wake Forest, they're 125th in rushing team performance on offense. Um, and you think about just matchups that Clemson front seven is not really uh, what you want to go up against when you're struggling to run the football. And Wake Forest has been relatively, uh, you know, one-dimensional. And and it, it is early, obviously, but that is where their strength is. I mean, you know, now that Hartman is back, uh, certainly quarterback is a strength of get, uh, strength again, A.T. Perry, uh, all-ACC performer, you know, good start to the season. Uh, still waiting for Donovan Green to to really step up. Keyshawn Williams had a big game. Uh, Jamal Banks had a kind of a coming out uh, performance against Liberty. But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right that they struggled. Uh, the post game win expectancy, according to CollegeFootballData.com, was uh, Liberty was expected to win 68 percent of the time given the box score. Uh, so Wake Forest was pretty fortunate to come out on top. In that game, perhaps there was a little bit of a looking ahead. Uh, Wake Forest, in my, you know, don't necessarily have the numbers right at hand to, to back this up, but seems like they're not really the type of program that, that gets caught looking ahead too often. But maybe now that they're sort of a mainstay in the, you know, national conversation and the top 25 rankings, uh, maybe they're a little more prone to that. I'm not sure. Clemson has is, is certainly been uh, taken plenty of shots for. Uh, some underperformance. They're still top five in our power rankings. Um, the defense is still playing at, you know, right around a top 15 level. And offensively, they're, you know, not horrible. Uh, last year certainly was a uh, big step back. They were 76th in offensive team performance uh, last season. This year, 37th through three weeks. Um, you know, the numbers that the, the, Pure, you know, passing stats and things like that for uh, DJ Uyunglele. Not great, but, you know, people who, especially in week one, that, that game against Georgia Tech, watched really closely, noticed a lot of the drops, noticed some really well-thrown balls. Um, and so I think he's played a little bit better than, uh, you know, some certainly some of the numbers would suggest and, and my, what I guess is sort of the, the reputation now. But, I mean, Kate Kublik is knocking on the door and, and there certainly are some folks and I can't argue too, you know, too uh, much with them who would think that he might be able to take this offense to another level. Um, they're running the football pretty well. Will Shipley looked good last week. Uh, they're 30th in, in rushing team performance overall. You mentioned that, you know, Uyunglele has is, is, uh, got 
Uh, you know, one of the one of the more productive parts of his game at times is running the football. Um, we'll see how that plays out, but um, this is obviously, you know, a huge, huge game for Wake Forest. If they are able to win this game, um, things are set up really, really well for them in the ACC title race. Uh, however, understandably, Clemson is favored. Uh, even on the road and, you know, the, the line, our official projection, uh, excuse me, our official line, the, the Vegas Insider line on Tuesday uh, early afternoon was eight. And we're, you know, slightly under nine. So another one where our projection is pretty close. Um, but we do expect uh, this game to go over. think that the Clemson offense is maybe a little bit better than what it's kind of getting credit for right now. And, you know, Wake Forest uh, defensively is is a top 50 defense in team performance, but I think is, you know, susceptible and hasn't played a super tough uh, first three games. So this will be their first big test. And, and I would expect um, that Clemson's going to be able to move the football. And, and so uh, this is another one, you know, after so many, or I guess so many, three weeks of being on such you know, uh, every single underdog, uh, being on a few favorites, it, it feels good. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> glad that we're on Clemson here. Um, I think that Wake Forest is certainly capable of hanging, especially if Clemson, you know, plays sort of, uh, it's, you know, gives a C effort or, or plays up, you know, not to its full potential. Uh, but I think that, I don't know, maybe it's a hunch, but, uh, I, I think we see Clemson's best performance of the season in this game, kind of like last year's game against Wake Forest, where they, you know, really struggled a lot of the year. Wake Forest, you know, showed up on the schedule, and Clemson took care of business and looked better than they had in, at any point prior to that. Um, maybe we shouldn't expect that, but but that's kind of what my hunch is telling me right now. So I'm kind of glad we're on Clemson. Not huge, uh, but our our – Final score projections, 36-27. Um, so, you know, 38-28, something like that, maybe 35-24. Um, all of those, I think, seem seem reasonable. But, uh, again, I'm, I'm kind of glad that we're on Clemson to cover. Uh, and, Nick, I'll throw it to you this time. Is there a certain game in week four that uh, you want to talk about here? So I did mention that, that, you know, the team performance ratings, throwing them into the mix, and I did hold it for three weeks this year that's kind of new um i feel like it hopefully will have paid off even though last week was painful uh it's it's given us better projections i think on 95 percent of games but it spit out a couple of weird ones and the duke one you know being an outright uh favorite as a seven and a half point underdog that's kind of rare for us another one you know oregon six and a half points uh favored on the road at Washington State, our projection actually has Washington State favored. Uh, part of that is that a lot of the advanced stats that we use uh, do not include games against FCS opponents. Oregon has one horrible performance against Georgia, one really good performance against BYU, and then another performance where they, you know, kind of got right in week two against Eastern Washington, excuse me, Eastern Washington, uh, who, of course, is an FCS opponent. So a lot of the numbers that we look at throw that out. So it's possible that 
on the one hand, nobody's going to look very good against Georgia. Uh, that was the first time, you know, first game of the season, 3,000 miles away from home, first time head coach, first time offensive play caller. Maybe it was just their very worst day. And then the last two weeks, Oregon's, you know, kind of back to normal and, and more what we're going to see. Uh, but on the other hand, we can't really, you know, completely ignore that. Washington State is a team that traditionally, the last four years, however long we've been doing this, our projections are always kind of low on Washington State. I mean, they rank 75th in roster strength overall, um, but they've played really, really well. And I think to a lot of, you know, to the surprise of many is how well they've played on defense. Washington State has played like a top 10 defense so far this season. They're eighth in defensive team performance overall, 34th against the pass, number two against the run, which is incredible considering they played Wisconsin and, you know, beat Wisconsin. Uh, really, really impressive performance, 100% postgame win expectancy in that game. Um, but shut down, you know, uh, opponents on the ground so far this season. Uh, one of those three opponents, and, and you know, admittedly the only – uh, good opponent that Washington has played, excuse me, Washington State has played. They, they kind of let Idaho, an FCS opponent, hang around a little too much. And kind of the flip side of our Oregon thing, how we throw out their good performance, we do kind of, you know, a lot of those stats throw out Washington State's pretty shaky performance against an FCS opponent. So it's one of those trade-offs that, that we make. Um, but they looked really impressive uh, defensively against Wisconsin. Last week against Colorado State, who Colorado State is a uh, bit of a disaster, you know, certainly much, much worse than I expected. Um, but maybe that Wisconsin game is carrying a little too much weight for Washington State. Maybe that Georgia game is carrying a little too much weight for Oregon. Um, but, uh, you know, as I always say, the roster strength numbers, the, the talent numbers carry the heaviest weight in everything that we do. And they're not close. I mean, I mentioned Washington State 75th in team performance overall. That's 70th on offense, 75th on defense. Oregon is top 20. They're 19th overall. Uh, they're 7th on defense and 38th on offense. And, and that's with a little bit of a downgrade. I get Bo Nix a downgrade um, to his rating now. So, you know, perhaps we are underrating Oregon here, even if we, I think, you know, included team performance uh, stats against FCS opponents. And even if Bo Nix was at full strength, given his high school, you know, recruiting rating as a five-star and, and all of that, I still think this, you know, our projection would have Washington State to cover. It would probably be, you know, maybe Oregon favored by a field goal, four or five, something like that. Um, but I, you know, I, I think that, there's reason to believe that Washington State is going to give Oregon some trouble here. They might not win the game outright, but I, I think that this is a tricky spot for Oregon. So uh, I will certainly be intrigued to see. This is one that sort of jumped off the screen at me when uh, you know I, I, I saw those most recent updates. We only have Washington State favored by two thirds of a point, but to actually have that you know WSU on the front instead of that Oregon uh, was a little bit of a surprise, especially when two, you know, the other two models, the talent edge 
has Oregon as a double-digit favorite. Uh, the stats-only model, which we updated, our PRISM model uh, this week, which I'm excited about, uh, has Oregon State, or excuse me, Oregon to cover as well. But the one that factors everything in has Washington State, and I, I kind of like it. It certainly, again, could go wrong. Confidence level isn't super high. Uh, but that one, that one was really interesting to me uh, and, and a game that I'm certainly looking forward to watching. Uh, Xavier, what do you think here? Uh, do you think this game is as tricky as uh, Nick says it is, or do you think Oregon comes in here and uh, reminds Washington State who the power in the Pac-12 is? They definitely need to. I'm, I'm going to say that first and foremost. And I think that the win against Wisconsin's being overblown just a tad bit. I think Wisconsin was just really bad on that day in some ways. I think uh, that's your original fraud watch because of Graham Mertz. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, you know, Graham Mertz is just fraud number one. <laughs> uh, well, he's fraud 1B behind Shea Patterson. He'll always be the – it was like a fraud watch poster. It'd be like Shea Patterson's face on both of these. Okay. Uh, but, you know, that's just is what it is. Stop, stop. He's already dead. I'm sorry, but he's, he's he was the first ever. He was the inaugural player to have his uh, <laughs> player rating dropped by Nick. So I think he just deserves to be, you know, uh, you know, mortalized in that. So, uh, let's see. When we're talking about was when we're talking about Washington State, I do think, like I said, the, the Wisconsin game is overblown just a little bit because Wisconsin statistically had a pretty good day. They ran for over 130 yards. Graham Mertz threw for 230 and two touchdowns. Washington State just got timely turnovers. You know, Cam Ward wasn't great in that game. He threw for one touchdown, but he also threw two picks, only threw for 200 yards and was 17 of 28. They didn't run the ball at all. Um, so I, I think Washington State's love right now is being overblown just a tad bit. I will say that this game had like, or losing all over it. It's, it's a Washington State team coming in with a ton of confidence, feeling themselves a little bit uh, with a quarterback that plays with his hair on fire, um, you know, and is trying at his, you know, his hardest to get into the eyes of all of the, the, the draft scouts who have had him in such high regard going into this season uh, alone. So this is one of those games where I look at Oregon, I go, if you guys have genuinely turned over a new page since the Georgia game, you dominate this matchup, you win this matchup by two touchdowns, and we get out of Dodge and move on to the next ball game, which will be Stanford uh, next week. If not, and Stanford or not Stanford, and Oregon has not learned its lesson on how to finish and how to be, you know, the the the, the power in the Pac-12 that they should be, um, especially with all the talent that they've accumulated. Even though they lost a ton, all the talent that they've accumulated, the recruiting trails and things like that. And this is going to be a game that we're looking at midway through the third quarter with Washington State up by by four, by five, by six. And, and I really hope that Oregon has learned its lesson from the Georgia game has just realized that Georgia's just that good of a football team and that they handle their business here. But I'm not so sure that's the case. And I refuse, I will always refuse to trust Bo Nix when everybody is confident in what Bo Nix has to do, in what Bo Nix might be. When Bo Nix goes into games where he's the underdog, that's where Bo Nix turns into good Bo. He's bad Bo a lot of times when he's the when he's thought of as the favorite, when he's the ranked team playing the lesser of the two teams. The cousins. And I'm not a big fan of him going into this game, you know, being the ranked opponent on the road in a, in a place that he's never been like, I'm just not a fan. I think this is going to be a game that Bo Nix keeps Washington State in it, maybe throws a couple of picks and it's Cam Ward versus Bo Nix at the end of the day. 
with all that being said, I think Oregon pulls it out by the by, by literal inches. I think Oregon wins by two, or sorry, by three, uh, at the very most six, um, as they get out of Pullman with, with a really, really tight victory over a, a, a really a Washington State team that I think is surprising a ton of people um, in the way that they're playing. But I think Cam Ward has been dragging this team to to, to the performances so far. Um, and their, let's just say, their baptism is coming. USC is two weeks away. At that point, we'll realize Washington State is who we thought they were, and then we can stop all the talk. But I think this game, they show a lot of fight at home. And I, like I said, I just don't trust Bull Nix when he's ranked high going against a team that's unranked on the road. He just seemingly doesn't want to play well in those games. <laughs> well, I'm sure he wants to play well. You know, it's just uh, th- things do not work out for him. So you do have it as a tricky game here. Yeah, I do. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that it, that's uh, what makes it interesting. How about uh, I want to talk about this SEC game, Arkansas at Texas A&M, Tamu favored by two and a half. Uh, the total is 48 and a half. We're way over. We're way <laughs> over that total, right? Yeah. And then uh, 1.45 is what we have in favor of Texas A&M. So a point off on the spread. So uh, I don't know. Uh, Arkansas looked terrible against Missouri State, of course, but they have two other decent wins. Um you know, Texas A&M beat Miami uh, at home. They'd made the switch at quarterback, Nick, but the, we still didn't see a ton on offense. So who wins this game? This one is a tough one for me to figure out. Yeah, we, we are a good bit over, and I don't feel great about that. I mean, usually when there's a big discrepancy there, I don't treat that as like, oh, yeah, we've got a we've got a big edge here, even though I do you know, call it the edge. Um <laughs> It's it's more of a ah okay so there's something our numbers maybe aren't accounting for and and in this case um, it's just how much that Texas A&M offense has struggled this year uh, I do think that certainly you know Texas A&M is capable of more uh, they've got some offensive players I really like I really like Devin A. Chain I really like Anaya Smith um, you know the five star receivers who are back from suspension this week are you know their their ceilings are sky high uh but they've struggled a little bit at quarterback obviously made the the move um last week to johnson he didn't necessarily you know light the scoreboard on fire um but perhaps they will you know be able to to take a step forward uh in that regard so far this week but from a team performance standpoint on the offensive side of the ball they rank 111th nationally um so 95th passing 97th running and that's just you know not going to cut it uh last week miami i think is is a pretty solid uh defense both teams operated a pretty slow pace so it was not at all a surprise that it was as low scoring uh as it was but you know arkansas is, is going to be a tough opponent just as Talented, if not maybe more so. They're 17th in roster strength overall, top 25 on both sides of the ball. Um, but, uh, you know, Arkansas certainly, I think, will give Texas A&M more of a test offensively than Miami did. They're playing at a top 30 level uh, so far this year. Pretty balanced. You know, Rocket Sanders looks really, really good for Arkansas out of the backfield. Uh, K.J. Jefferson's always a threat to run. Jaden Hazelwood has made some you know, big catches so far this year. Matt Landers had a big game the other day. Uh, Trey Knox started really well 
to the season and his move to tight end. So there are going to be some you know, matchups where I think Arkansas is, is going to have uh, a pretty good chance to, uh, you know, do some good things against that Texas A&M defense. But on the flip side, Arkansas is, you know, a little bit flawed. They were exposed last week against Missouri State, who, you know, certainly, and, and I've heard other people, you know, make this reference as well, but I'm sure Bobby Petrino and his opportunity to come back uh, spent months and months uh, preparing and, and cooking up some, you know, uh, special things for Arkansas. Uh, but you know, this this defense is a little bit shorthanded. They had some injuries in the secondary. Um, they had to replace a lot of guys, have new faces on the defensive line. You know, linebacker core is solid with bumper pool making plays. Drew Sanders looks, you know, <laughs> I think even better than, than a lot of us even uh, thought he could be. But that that Arkansas State defense is is susceptible. So Texas A&M, though they have not been consistent, is capable of drawing up a big play. And and when guys like A Chain and Nia Smith get loose, you know they can score from anywhere on the field. So uh, it's possible we see you know some quick strikes here and there, and and this gets to be uh, an over type game. But I certainly understand why. The total is in the 40s based on Texas A&M's performance the first couple of, of uh, weeks. But uh, our projection, like you said, pretty similar. One and a half. Uh, Texas A&M is favored. 29-27 is our projection. 21-20, you know, makes a lot of sense. Maybe that 29-27 is in three overtimes. Who knows? Um, but uh, this should be a pretty, I think, evenly matched game kind of a, a strength versus strength, weakness versus weakness in in a sense. Uh, but these games always seem to be close. And, and two top 25 teams, um, I think we certainly could see another, you know, last second sort of finish uh, here between these two. And, and this honestly is a game that Texas A&M, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a must win for either team, but it's a really, really need to win for both because – Arkansas has got Alabama the next week. Mississippi State is tough. I mean, it's it's a tough stretch here for Arkansas. Uh, and it's, it's you know, kind of similar there for Texas A&M. I mean, the loser of this game, though still a top 25-level team, regardless of the outcome, is going to have to, you know, get its, its, uh, its poop in a group, as some might say, uh, and, you know, get to a bowl game because there are a lot of losable – games on the schedule uh for both of these teams after this one Xavier what do you what do you think of this one this uh looks like a fun uh SEC game here that I mean it could be one of those you know slugfest ugly nasty gritty games which is what Texas A&M wants it to be because they can't score uh you know (laughs) uh, so, so but but I mean this is all about Texas A&M run defense versus Arkansas run game, right? That's what it boils down to here. Maybe. Maybe. I, I'm, I'm going to pivot there. I'm, I'm going to zag a little bit here. Okay. I, I think this is the game where K.J. Jefferson shows off his arm talent. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I think, yes, at the end of the day, what does Arkansas do the best? Run the football. But mm-hmm. K.J. Jefferson, when that offense is truly humming, it's Jay Nasalwood. It's Matt Landers. He loves those guys on the outside. And is 100% trustworthy in them. I said the same thing about Michael Pence earlier. 
you see a confidence and a trust that he has in that receiving core that has clearly grown throughout the summer. And I think it's going to pay huge dividends this week because the one thing that I thought Miami could do against uh, against AM last week was their receivers were getting open. They're not hot. The receivers were wild. I mean, when you go back and watch that game, some of the throws that he misses are like 30 yards downfield. And, yes, to A&M's credit, they were able to get home and make him uncomfortable. And you could tell that this was really his one of his first real road tests, you know, and it looked like it. K.J. Jefferson isn't that guy. He's not scared of what they're going to roll out there on, on a Saturday. He's, he's not – he's – Played a uh, he played a And M you know pretty well last year. Arkansas has played a And M well in this game in particular, really well over the last couple of years. Even when Arkansas wasn't ranked, um, and I think that this game, as much as we're trying to build it up as this slugfest in a And M's defense versus Arkansas's running game, it really comes down to whether or not a And M has a post offensively. Because I think Arkansas is going to be able to get what they want at the end of the day. I, I think they'll be able to put up enough points. Let me let me rephrase that. They'll be able to put up enough points in this ball game to force AM's offense to do something. They're not going to be able to do what they did last week, where they hold our, where they hold they held Miami to nine points, and Miami was you know offense just couldn't move the football. Arkansas is going to have chances. They're going to have opportunities. This Arkansas team is extremely talented on the outside, and more importantly, they have balance in their offense. Um, like I said, KJ Jefferson when they play, like just go watch what he did against South Carolina. He had three incompletions. I understand that they were able to run the ball extremely well in that game, but he has a command of this offense that when he feels like he needs to throw, he can do so and doesn't feel like what he did maybe a year ago where even when he needed to throw, he looked hesitant. He didn't look like he wanted to. You know, last year, last week against Missouri State, they needed him to throw in that fourth quarter. What did he do? Go out there and threw, did. He threw for almost 400 yards. He threw for two touchdowns. He has an opportunity to really – put a, a clear distance between uh, Arkansas and everybody else in the in barring Alabama. So I think Arkansas wins this game. I think AM's defense, for as great as it is, they cannot make up for what offense has no pulse. And even with Max Johnson back there, that offense was bad at times in that game. He was okay. 10 for 20, a buck 40, and a touchdown is, is improvement on what Haynes King has been, just to show you how bad the QB play has been. And if Devin A. Chain is not able to get going at all, him or Anaya Smith, this ball game might be a route. Um, just simply based off of the fact that I do think Arkansas kind of takes their foot off the gas a little bit too often for me. I think this game remains close. But give me Arkansas to win this game at the bare minimum by a touchdown. Um, I, I think that they're the better team. And I, and I think that when, you, when you're looking at AM, they just have so many ifs on that offensive side of the football. Right on, where on Arkansas' side, I go, that's a complete. That's a complete offense right there. When it needs to be. Uh, let's talk about these uh, Big Ten games here, Nick, and let's let's kind of lump them together. We've got Wisconsin at Ohio State. Ohio State's an eighteen point favorite. The line is fifty seven. Uh, we don't have Ohio State as that big of a favorite, but uh, we we are in line with the total here. Uh, we've got. Um, Michigan and uh, Maryland, Michigan's a 16 and a half point favorite. 65 and a half is the line. Uh, we're also not as fond uh, as, as Michigan of Michigan as most people are. And then Michigan State hosting Minnesota. We got Minnesota as a two and a half point favorite, 51 
is the total here. We're pretty close on that one. Is there any of those Big Ten games that stand out to you? Well, I, I'm interested in all three for different reasons. Uh, the the first one with Wisconsin and Ohio State. One, it could be, you know, a, a championship game preview. Uh, I think 18 just seems like too many points, even though Wisconsin does have the loss against Washington State. I think that they, in some ways, match up pretty well, and I kind of trust Wisconsin's defense to give Ohio State, if anybody's going to give them a little bit of trouble, maybe it's Wisconsin. You know, two touchdowns seems like enough, but 18, just just for whatever reason, seems like maybe just, just too much. So uh, I kind of like that we're on Wisconsin to keep it close there. You said that we're not as high on Michigan as some. I, I kind of disagree. Michigan's come up quite a bit since uh, our, our um, preseason uh, shows when they were outside the top 10. They are fourth now, just past Clemson. Um, the roster strength numbers look good. Team performance looks great. Certainly they have not been tested uh, by any three of their non-conference opponents. But the thing that, that strikes me, uh, the reason why we have Maryland expected to cover here, or at least projected, our numbers somewhat shockingly, this was one of the ones that jumped off the page to me. We have Maryland inside the top 20 right now in our overall power ratings. They are playing uh, at the, you know, a top 10 level in team performance overall, top 15 on offense, top 15 on defense. Similarly, haven't been really tested, though SMU, I think, is a, a quality team who we actually have favored over TCU slightly. Um, that's one of our wrong team favored. Uh, selections here but that scares me a little bit i i think that this is a game where maryland could be exposed and that number uh you know takes a bit of a dive and, and they are not a top 10 or top 20 team in my own opinion um so that one i i have very very little confidence in but it'll be fun to see if maryland is you know that improved because they're a team who was in the what, 60s in, in our preseason uh, power ranking. So they, they've gone up really fast, really quickly. And the last one, when I first saw, because I always run the projections before I look at the lines um, on Tuesdays when I'm putting everything together. Like I see the when they're first uh, posted when Circa does them on Sunday, and then I kind of forget about them, and then I want to fill out the, the sheet and then put the uh, current, uh, you know, official line on their last. And when I was doing it, I was kind of like, oh, interesting. Yeah, we've got Maryland, or excuse me, we've got Minnesota favored over Michigan State. I kind of like that. I feel like that's, you know, that that's, that's kind of, uh, I don't know, that's something. That was unexpected. Well, we've got Minnesota favored by, what, a point and a half, and Michigan uh, State is a two and a half point underdog. So we're actually on Michigan State here. So uh, that was that was like, well, all right. So maybe we're not quite as as uh, smart or sharp or whatever the word is uh, as maybe I, I felt in that moment. But uh, that's an intriguing one as well because Minnesota, you know, if Wisconsin's not going to win the West, I feel like it's going to be Minnesota. Uh, they have kind of a little bit, uh, not the opposite situation as, as Texas A&M because there are losable games in the back half of the schedule, uh, but they are, other than the Penn State game, uh, and I guess Wisconsin on the road, they're favored in the rest of their games in our current projected 
point spread, which was a little bit of a surprise. It's not a, you know, they they get a pretty favorable draw. Penn State's the only, you know, big time East uh, team after Michigan State. And of course, Michigan State looks vulnerable uh, given last week's results. Uh, Michigan State, by the way, who, who played pretty poorly, uh, especially early on, uh, and lost certainly rose in our power rankings, and we still had Minnesota um, uh, come out favored. So that one I'm really interested in because it seemed to me, I assumed Michigan State still would be favored, um, but Minnesota looks legit. We'll see. You know, certainly both teams are missing a big time wide receiver, their go to wide receivers. Jaden Reed was out last week. Not sure. We don't get really injury updates from Michigan State. Not sure if he'll be back this week. Uh, but Keon Coleman has looked good so far this year. They've got, you know, uh, some good things from Journey Bernard, the true freshman. Uh, interesting to see can Michigan State bounce back? Is Minnesota for real? That one looks really, really evenly matched uh, compared to the other two, especially. And I was a little surprised that Minnesota was favored, but certainly I'm I'm not the uh, you know the only one because the odds makers uh, had them favored by even more. So uh, pretty pretty interesting game, all three of them uh, for for different reasons, but certainly you know a, a trio that caught my attention. What do you think, Xavier? What do you think of these Big Ten matchups? Is there one game that stands out above the others? Yeah, it's got to be Michigan State in, in Minnesota. I think that Michigan State is a must-win. You know, after coming off of the, that wit, that loss that you had at Washington, you really have to bounce back, especially defensively. That secondary got toasted. Uh, and Tanner Morgan's not going to be a shy guy with that secondary. You know, that, that film is wide open to look at. Um, and that's what Minnesota's going to try to do. Obviously, they've got Muhammad Ibrahim in the backfield, and they're going to, you know, they're going to be a balanced offense, which is something I love at Minnesota. Uh, but this is also a game for Minnesota that if they win this, you really have to start talking about them, you know, finally giving us a season that maybe we thought we were going to get last year before Ibrahim got hurt. What we kind of saw from week one when they kind of were giving Ohio State, you know, really which was one of their better tests of the year, um, especially within the Big Ten. So I think this is a game that you that some teams have got to show what they're going to be made of this year. I think this is a great, and you know, I like this word, is an amazing barometer matchup for both teams. I think Michigan State has to show itself approved after what we saw last week, um, especially Peyton Thorne, a guy who I said coming into that game I was afraid of against that Washington defense. Um, he has to bounce back. And for Minnesota, hey, is this finally the year that it all kind of comes together for them? Um, I'm not saying they're going to win the Big Ten or anything, but you look at the rest of their schedule. This might, outside of Penn State, this is it. Like, and Wisconsin at the end of the year, excuse me, this is really one of those games where you're like, all right, they beat Michigan State. They can roll. Uh, they, they really could. And they could give, you know, Penn State obviously a run for their money. And I would love to see what they're able to do against Wisconsin if they're able to, you know, not trip up against, you know, uh, you know, an Iowa later in the year or, you know, a Nebraska on the road. This is a team that could represent the Big Ten West in, 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 in the conference championship game. And I, would, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest I mean, if they were able to do so. So, I'm going to go with the Gophers on this one. I think Minnesota just – this is what we expected of them last season, um, and I think they're kind of going to flip. You know, Michigan State kind of surprised a lot of people last year. I think Michigan State had a season where I don't think many people had thought they were going to have an opportunity to even represent the you know the, the conference um, or their side of the conference I'm in the Big Ten championship game. They beat Michigan, right? It was just a really great year for Michigan State. I think they regressed, and I think this is the year we thought we were going to get from Minnesota last year before the injuries started piling up. And I think Minnesota in particular wins this ball game on the road. It's going to be a tough test, but like I said, Minnesota wins this game. 
you really start only looking at maybe two matchups the rest of the year that are going to give them trouble. At that point, all bets are off. Minnesota might represent the Big Ten West at that point. All right, let's go through some lightning round games here to end it here. Uh, Nick, we've got Baylor on the road against Iowa State. Iowa State, a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, who do you like in that game? <laughs> that Very similar to the Minnesota game. I was like, ha-ha-ha, yes. We've got Iowa State favored by 2.51 points. There's no way that, that they're favored. Well, they're favored by two-and-a-half. So uh, that our projection almost exactly the same. The total is very similar, um, but that was one little surprised. But but Iowa State's been playing really well, so I, it wouldn't shock me if they win. Xavier, what do you think of that one? Them being favored worries me. I wouldn't touch it. Let's put, <laughs> let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't touch it at all. I I, I do. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that one at all. I understand. You don't, it you smells think, a little. It does. Yeah, you don't it's, think Baylor <laughs> uh, Baylor can can go into Iowa State and come away with a win? I mean, I think, looking at this, it feels like this should be a Baylor game, but I get the line. That's the thing. It's like I, I understand why Baylor isn't favored, but also has Baylor showed has Baylor been that bad for them to be like, yeah, we we, we don't trust them in this ball game? No. So I, I'm gonna I, I I wouldn't touch this. Baylor is dealing with some injuries. Starting tight end might be out. Starting defensive lineman might be out. Running back might be out. Uh, all the they, you know, they didn't miss them banged last up. week, but they're they're a little banged up. And they're a team that our ratings have been lower than just about everybody on. So um, I was a little surprised to see that they were actually, you know, an underdog on the road there. Uh, all right, let's go over to. I mean. Can we trust Notre Dame at all anymore? North Carolina is favored by two. North Carolina with the worst defense in the country. Notre Dame with one of the worst offenses in the country so far. Uh, who wins this game, Nick? Hey, North Carolina is only 117th in defensive team performance. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. There are 14 124th against the pass. Fortunately, Notre Dame you know, can't throw. They can't really run all that well either. Uh, this, this is kind of shockingly two teams in the forties in our power rankings, uh, given where, where both of them sort of started and, and North Carolina is undefeated, right? <laughs> They've just been uh, not, not playing particularly well all the time. Sounds like Josh Jones might be back. North Carolina's had an extra week to prepare. Um, so we, you know, I, I'm happy that we do have North Carolina favored, but this is another one very similar to the projection. We've got them uh, North Carolina favored by one and a half and, and they're two point favorites. So we actually have, Notre Dame to cover. I don't have a huge, you know, opinion lean one way or the other. Uh, but but both teams really would benefit from winning this game. Javier, you trust anybody here? I love North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah, I do. I oh love North Carolina. Listen, How can I'm you, you say about, that with a straight face? Because their offense is great, and Notre Dame can't move the football on my high school team right now. That's yeah, why. but I'm pretty sure your high school team could score on North Carolina right now. I'm pretty sure you're right too, but. Notre Dame's offensive post, I don't think, could score on, a, on an old folks' home right now on a consistent basis. So let, let's just put it that way. I think North Carolina's offense just does enough to beat Notre Dame, and I think Notre Dame's defense is being a little bit overblown because they played Cal last week, who has one of the worst defense offenses in college, in college football and has had one of the worst offenses in college football in the last couple of years. So give me North Carolina. I think they cover. Uh, I think they beat Notre Dame, uh, and Mark, the whole Marcus Freeman is safe talk goes right back the other way after this week. Uh, all right, so let, let's talk about some some leans here. Uh, Virginia 
at Syracuse on Friday night, Nick. Do you have a good lean in this game? The line is Syracuse by 10. So right now, I think for Virginia, everybody's sort of worst fear on whether or not Tony Elliott, whatever happened with the Clemson offense, has infiltrated Virginia. Uh, They do not look good offensively. 88th in team performance, 110th passing team performance, and they've got Brennan Armstrong and one of the best receiving cores in in the country. Um, But do we really trust Syracuse to beat somebody by double digits, I think is is the bigger thing. So our projection, probably too high on Virginia. We've got Syracuse favored by, uh, was it four and a half right about there? I, I feel like a touchdown is is more you know correct. Uh, and certainly Syracuse could win this by two touchdowns, but Virginia playing decent defense. And, and I, I think I don't quite trust Syracuse just yet to take care of business in a game that's supposed to win by double digits. So I kind of like that we're on Virginia, but don't feel great about it either way. Uh, Listen, (laughs) listen, there's no way Virginia does. There's no way Syracuse doesn't cover this. I'm sorry. Like I I get it. Syracuse being favored by 10 points to scare anybody when it's not talking about basketball, but Virginia football wise at this point is in shambles. And I'm just not favored, favoring them to cover this at all. You know, this is a team that probably should have lost to Old Dominion earlier this year and should be one and two and got the doors get off by, by Illinois, who I wouldn't call an offensive juggernaut. So give me Syracuse to cover the 10 points over. Uh, West Virginia at Texas Tech, or at Virgi- uh, Virginia Tech, excuse me. Uh, WVU favored by two and a half here. Looks like uh, you're leaning on the other side, Nick. We have Virginia Tech favored. A little bit of a surprise, uh, but. You know, West Virginia's look good offensively. JT Daniels look good. That passing attack uh, is solid. Bryce Ford Wheaton off to a huge start. Virginia Tech, you know, certainly stumbled coming out of the gate, dealing with some injuries. Keyshawn King uh, looked really good at running back a couple of weeks ago, but missed last week. Caleb Smith was banged up. Uh, also has some injuries on defense. Uh, nevertheless, we, we feel like, you know, Virginia Tech at home uh, should be favored in this game. I, I don't have huge confidence in it, uh, but I, you know, despite some of the the good performances uh, in that passing attack for West Virginia, and I mean, <laughs> uh, one of the best true freshmen uh, uh, that we've seen so far this year, CJ Donaldson, the tight end converted to running back, six two two forty, breaking off huge runs for West Virginia, even with you know with him and and that offense. The numbers like Virginia Tech. We'll see. Uh, what do you What do you think there, Xavier? Virginia Tech and WVU. Yeah, there's just something about Interstate man playing at home that just makes these guys play a ton better than when they do when they're on the road. I I, I can't really explain it. I, I'm I'm with Nick on this one. I think Virginia Tech is able to to, to cover. Uh, West Virginia is right now JT Daniels and Co. And that's kind of what they've been right and that concerns me especially defensively uh virginia tech has turned i won't say they've turned the corner but they've come a long way since the old dominion matchup i'll say that they've looked a ton better since that week one loss to old dominion um beating boston college beating wofford putting 27 points up in both ball games i think they're able to cover this game and they may even sneak away with this win um over west virginia uh all right let's move on to tcu on the road at smu interesting game here uh tcu favored by a point uh, we're on the SMU side, and I have seen this line, Nick, flip flop back and forth already, and it's only Wednesday uh, between both these teams. I think it's going to land on TCU being favored by a point uh, and a half or two at the end of the week. But uh, how do how do you see this game playing out? 
Yeah, you mentioned it. We're on SMU uh, to win the game outright. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, TCU, we have a very limited sample. They look good against Colorado, who's one of, you know, might, might go winless this year. Uh, they also look good against Charlton. But uh, FCS opponent, you know, hard to say. And then they were off last week. SMU, we obviously were a little too high on, had them uh, picked to win at Maryland outright. Uh, that looked okay early, but didn't play out. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't really have a great read on either team just yet. Feels like we might be a little too high on both, quite honestly. Um, but rivalry game, you know, crosstown, you got the, the the situation with Sonny Dykes was the head coach at SMU last year, last few years, now back at uh, TCU. A uh, lot of interesting things. TCU, of course, you know, quarterback Chandler Morris uh, got injured early. He's been out. Max Duggan has looked good, but, um, you know, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> it's it's uh, certainly a, a very, very intriguing matchup for a lot of reasons. Um, and it's uh, interesting that we think the the other team, you know, should be favored, but just by a point as a one point underdog. So not really a huge uh, edge or lean one way or the other. Yeah, uh, th this one is interesting, Xavier. Do you like TCU in this game? Do you like SMU? What's your thoughts? I say neither. Um, no, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, I mean, TCU's had two weeks to prepare, so I'm, I'm going to lean towards them for that reason. Um, I think SMU coming off of the Maryland loss has got to sting a little bit. Uh, this is a team that kind of let that one get away, giving up 14 points in the fourth quarter, uh, pretty much being in control up until that point. You really think that, you know, that they were uh, they were going to win that game. They gave up a, almost 200-plus yards on the ground to Maryland. It's not great, um, especially when you're playing a team at TCU that has shown the ability to run the football uh, and in some ways has leaned on that. Um, TCU on the other side, the only thing about TCU, the reason why I can't just, like, stamp them as a winner of this ballgame is they haven't played anybody, like, Colorado and Tarleton State is are no mean feats. Uh, and so I, I will lean two weeks of preparation or that they've played somebody in loss. SMU, they played they, they played Maryland good, and I thought they, they should have won that ballgame if not for giving a 14 in the fourth quarter. Let's go SMU in this ballgame. Uh, all right, let's go over to Kansas State on the road against Oklahoma. Oklahoma at 13-point favorite. Uh, the total is 52. We, this is another game, Nick, that we seem to be just right on the line here. We do, yeah. Our, our projections, Oklahoma by 13.22, so not much of a an edge there. Kind of interesting, uh, overused word of mine, of course. But uh, Kansas State, everybody's, you know, Big 12 dark horse lost to Tulane. Pretty shocking. Uh, <laughs> probably not super shocking that Kansas State is 130th in passing offensive team performance so far this year, playing solid defense, top 25 all around, uh, should be the toughest test defensively for Oklahoma so far. Uh, but Oklahoma looks just as good, if not better, than they have in, in recent years. And, and not the toughest competition, but you know UTEP and Kent State, both bowl teams last year, Nebraska, um, a lot of people expected more out of. And Oklahoma's playing, you know, really, really solid football. Uh, top 25 defense, Xavier, in team performance. Uh, really, really solid offense as well. Third right now, number one rushing offense in, in offensive team performance. And operating at a top 10 
pace. So they're they're quick on offense. They've been good. They've been productive. And defensively, again, not the toughest of competitions, but you know, pretty solid so far. And K-State obviously has Deuce Vaughn, but right now can't throw the football. Um, so I, I kind of like Oklahoma to cover here, even though our projection is very tight uh, to that line. Um, <clears throat> that was unnecessary, Nick. That jab was complete. <laughs> I'm just calling it to your attention. I'm not saying everything's fixed. That's just been that's been a theme of ours for the last three, four years. Keeping, yeah, they, they keeping played, tabs on that Oklahoma defense. And they right played now, a dumpster fire in Nebraska last week. Fair. Sure. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Uh, and Casey Thompson still looked okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> before, you know, before leaving that ball game. So um I'm gonna have Kansas State covering. This is their first run decent running game that they're gonna be playing this week. They still didn't they still gave Nebraska almost 200 yards of rushing even with you know that that top 10 vaunted defense. And here comes like, Deuce Vaughn. And then here comes Deuce Vaughn and you know what 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 better way for Adrian Martinez to get off the schneid than oh to go and, and beat Oklahoma or, or or keep that game close enough uh to, to to make Oklahoma sweat a little bit, you know, for all the things that he's been through in the in his last couple of years being in Nebraska for him to the first decent game he puts together to you know, be at Oklahoma uh, in, in Stillwater. So I'm, I'm going to have Kansas State covering. Yeah, I mean, I hope you're right. I don't know. Uh, probably a game <laughs> I'll avoid. Uh, the last game uh, I'll have us talk about here, Nick, USC on the road against Oregon State, six and a half point favorite. 71 is the total here. Uh, so big old total. Uh, but five, uh, we, we have them by slightly under uh, six points in this game, USC. So we're officially on the Oregon State side. How do you feel about this one playing out? So first of all, I'm I'm a USC believer. I mean, offensively, they look really, really good. Um, defensively, making big plays, but certainly some questions with efficiency and, and things like that. Uh, but going on the road to Corvallis to open Pac-12 play is just one of those scary situations uh, for a team like USC. So uh, I feel like this is a, a game where we actually will learn a lot because Oregon State is, you know, 3-0. Uh, they have played pretty well, 28th in team performance overall, top 20 on offense. Um, they beat Boise State, Fresno State, and then, you know, Montana State was FCS runner-up last year. So uh, even though it's two group of five teams and an FCS team, a you know, not, maybe not the toughest non-conference schedule, but better than it might look on paper. Uh, and so I think that they are pretty well prepared for USC. They won't have uh, Luke Musgrave, who could be, it sounds like, according to, to some folks, uh, one of the you know top tight end pro prospects in, in the next draft. They also haven't been with a, uh, Trey Lowe for a little while. Uh, but Oregon State, Solid team, and I think capable of putting a scare in USC, if not finding a way to to kind of serve uh, Lincoln Riley with his first loss there. We'll, we'll see. Really, really tricky game uh, timing-wise and, and location-wise. Not what USC, I think, wants for its Pac-12 opener. Or no, they played Sanford, so not a Pac-12 opener. But, uh, you know, kind the, of the early stuff. in the year, not, a, not exactly how you draw it up. First tough game, anyway. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on USC in Oregon State? 
I could not agree more with Nick here. This is one of those games where I look at USC, and if this is USC last year, it's a loss. Um, is this the, you know, it, it, have they put those kind of woes behind them? I know it's a new regime. I know it's new players, uh, but don't let this, don't let it fool you. This, this is one of those games that a check mark on their season, which is like, okay, they've changed it. They've turned over a new leaf. They've, you know, uh, you know, made a new uh, for this season. And that's beating a team like Oregon State on the road. And it's going to be a rocket environment. I mean, it's going to be crazy in Corvallis. Um, and Oregon State plays better at home. And they are going to do everything within their power, including trick plays, including all types of stuff to win this ball game. And can you and can USC just be the better team? Just show that they're the better team for four quarters and get out of there. Um, if they can, once again, I'm going to start hopping on the bandwagon that Nick is already on, right? That USC may genuinely be for real. If they struggle, look bad. If Caleb throws a couple of picks here and there and Oregon State keeps them in the ballgame, even if USC wins. Then I, then I don't think if you, USC has necessarily you know turned that corner as much as people believe right now. But I think USC wins this ballgame. Uh, I think Oregon State gets close to covering, so I don't think it's going to be a complete blowout. But like I said, if USC goes down there, beats them by 14-plus, by 21, and you know just absolutely obliterates uh, Oregon State, I'm going to hop on the bandwagon real quick that this USC team might genuinely be for real. Yeah, it's going to be – uh, it's going to be a fun week. I think Nick, you were absolutely right when you started, when we started this show where you said it's a sneaky Saturday where there are a lot of, uh, interesting games. It should be close matchups or at least play close to the spread. So, uh, this, this week is a hard one to figure out for sure. So, uh, going to be interesting, uh, picking games this week and, and making actual real selections. So, uh, it's going to be a fun one. Is there anything else we missed or is that everything, Nick? Well, let me say, if, if we have another week projections-wise, like week one and week three, uh, this this might be my farewell. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> I mean, uh, week two well. was was adequate. Uh, but, man, week one and week three, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to toss this thing in the trash if we have another week like that. So Yeah, Tom uh, Brady looking at the uh, sheet, uh, looking at the uh, pamphlet. That's what you are. So, <laughs> so if, if we, uh, if we, you know, if this is the last episode of the CFB Winning Edge podcast, it's been great. You know, we've enjoyed it. <laughs> <Fun ride>. Whatever. Fun <laughs> ride. Whatever. Yeah, we're 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 not giving up uh, because of the anyway. bumps in the road here. One seventy six so. is a nice round number, you know. Uh, yeah, very round. Uh, <laughs> it's about as crooked as uh, Herman Edwards telling people he didn't know what was going on. There. So, uh, but but uh, look, we're. Uh, well, we're going to be all right. So it's it's going to be a fun one uh, this week for sure. A lot of these games will play closer, which should play uh, into your hands, Nick. So uh, we'll, we'll be looking forward to it. But that will wrap it up for us. Remember, we, you can find us all on the Twitter machine at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine. And we will see you guys next week. Good luck, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.